and welcome to The Bitten Word. I'm Ashley. And I'm Christine. And today we are beginning our spooky episodes for October. That was a good spooky. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Christine's already wearing a Hocus Pocus shirt today. Mm-hmm. We I've been are. It's it for not, like a month. That's true. <laughs> it's not October yet when we're recording, but it will be when you listen to this episode. And I'm like, I'm uber excited for October to come. We have a whole like party, Halloween's coming party happening on October 1st, just like in our family. And I'm really excited. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about a non-traditional Halloween kind of thing. We're going to be talking about the book, The Inheritance of Orchidea Divina by, I'm going to butcher this, Zoraida. (laughs) I don't even know. Cordova. Um, no. Okay. So we have to talk about this because you say that, but then I asked Brett who is fluent in Spanish and he said, no, it would be Orchidea because it's because the E never changes. And I know that you also asked a Spanish speaker and you listened to the audiobook. I asked a woman who was born and raised in Mexico, not somebody who like lived in Chile for a couple of years. Okay. But, but still the difference there is maybe the country. Okay. But the problem is that there's an accent over the I, which denotes where to put the emphasis on the word. Mm. So this would be orquídea. Okay. Interesting. That's how those accents work in Spanish. But it doesn't change the sound of the E at the end of the name, does it? Yeah, I I don't know that. I would say orchidea. That would be my guess. Okay. But okay. But my friend was, and in the audiobook, they were saying orchidea. And so okay. maybe it's just, I don't know. But the big, the, yeah. <laughs> the big the big thing for me is the emphasis on the key. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So I'm really sorry if throughout this, I go back and forth with pronunciations because I don't speak Spanish. (laughs) Yeah. So whatever. It'll sound roughly the same every time. Um, So let me give you a synopsis of this book. Um, It just came out last year um, in August. So it's a relatively new book, only about a year old. So you may not have actually read it or maybe even not even heard of it. So let me give you a synopsis. Here we go. Orchidea Divina. Is that okay? (laughs) Bruja matriarch of the Montoya family. Bruja, I believe, means witch. Yes? Yes. Has outlived several husbands, built an unusually productive farmstead, and raised a large family of children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. The novel begins as she summons the entire family back to Four Rivers to collect as she prepares for death. Following the family gathering, Mari Mar stays on to take over the farm, and Ray returns to New York City to resume his life's dream of painting. Tatanelli, the ordinary cousin, is settled with a husband and daughter, completely normal as far as anyone can tell. And if unusual things happen to all three of them, like those flowers growing from their skin, well, that's just their inheritance from Orchidea. But life for the Montoya family has never been simple, and seven years after the family disperses, people start dying, 
and a mysterious, menacing figure appears to each of the three cousins. Desperate for answers, they reunite and travel to where it all started, Orchidea's first home in Ecuador. As the cousins unearth long-buried secrets and connect with their ancestors, Cordova gives readers Orchidea's experience of the events that would shape her life and that of the Montoya family for decades to come. Okay, so this, this book is staunchly in the realm of magical realism. Magical realism is an interesting thing to me because it's like magic that exists but is just taken as normal or something. I don't exactly know what to do with it. Yeah, I don't know how I would really describe that. It's like it's like accidental magic almost. Like Yeah. I'm thinking I'm kind of thinking of it in the way of like practical magic where like you yeah. never actually see anybody do magic, but they yeah. are witches and they're doing it. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And and I feel like maybe it's maybe it's not taking place in a different world. It's taking place in the world that we know and that we live in. And it's happening instead of being like Harry Potter, where there's like a full fantasy world created, you know? So anyway, that's the magical realism, I guess, that we'll kind of go with here. Um, so these these people do have like magic. Like I think their their grandma, who the main characters, um, it is their grandmother, who is Orchidea. Um, they they have like flowers growing out of their skin, like it said in the uh, synopsis. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. Um, <laughs> and eventually those kind of play into the story. And it is interesting because everybody just seems to kind of like accept it. It's like on Doctor Who when they walk around all these old places and like alien planets with normal Earth, like 2022 clothes and nobody notices. <laughs> like, yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if it's kind of like the mist from Percy Jackson where everybody sees it, but just kind of thinks it's something else or just kind of yeah. ignores it. Maybe. Um, so this this book is actually an expansion of a previous short story by the author based on Marimar, who is one of the main characters of this book. Um, this is her first adult novel. Uh, she felt like, I guess, from interviews I read, that she felt like this one would need to be an adult novel in order to continue the story properly. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, a lot of people, when looking at reviews of the book, have talked about the prose and how beautiful her writing is. Um, I kind of felt like it was like that in certain parts. Some parts were like really nicely written and you could kind of get lost in it. And But there's so much dialogue and the dialogue isn't super beautiful or anything. It sounds pretty typical. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, there is, though, a playlist on her website that you can go to of songs that she listened to while creating the book. I kind of like that authors are doing that now. I love that. Um, I love yeah, the playlist. It gives you a good vibe for, like, what their, what their feeling of the book is. Um, and I went, I went to it, and I actually, like, it's really long, but I added two songs. I added a version of La Llorona onto my playlist because it's like softer, I guess, than 
the one I've heard in Coco, because that's like my <laughs> the only other version. That song. <laughs> um, no, there were actually two or three versions of that song on her playlist. Uh, and then one called Funeral, which I have no idea what it's talking about because it's in Spanish, but <laughs> it's um, it's a really cool, like, Possibly kind of a funeral. Well, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if it's but because of the way that it sounds, because it's not yeah. like sad, it's kind of like upbeat. And so I'm not sure if it's talking about a funeral or if it's talking about the person or if it's like, I don't know. Um, but anyway, so I would go check that out just because that's fun. So the very first time that I ever saw this happen, like where online you could find the author's playlist was Stephanie Meyer with Twilight. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Um, so this was like a long time ago, uh, maybe like even close to 15 years ago that, that I found this. And that was kind of like, I had already known Starlight, but that's what introduced me more to Muse and more of their music. Cause like Muse is her favorite band, apparently. Um, yeah, I was going to say they play super massive black hole. Yeah. I think in the yeah, they, movies. they do while well, they're playing baseball, right? Vampire yeah. baseball. Uh, <laughs> um so i don't know i just think it's kind of fun gives you a nice vibe i've been uh i've been reading will wheaton's uh auto- annotated autobiography and he has this whole thing where like each chapter heading he had song lyrics and then they got like redacted by his editor because he's like no this violates copyright raw copyright law and he was like the copyright law makes no sense because like some things are allowed to be there and some things aren't but he still has yeah. like so it's got all these quotes that are blacked out and then he's still got like the songs and the author names or I mean artist names. So I've been like making my own little playlist and going through and listening to all of the <laughs> songs. That seems silly. What if he like did that and then put, you know, this song by this person at the end, kind of like quotes at the beginning of chapters, that is what you know, he's doing. that's exactly what it is. It's just but a quote of the lyrics. Yeah. But then that's he weird. said like, he like directly quoted a song in another part and he's like my editor says this is okay because it's a, because it's a quote this makes no sense yeah that doesn't make any sense maybe he just needs to put quotation marks around the chapter titles um okay so the author was born in Guayaquil Ecuador which is where they go um towards the end of the book to kind of get to the bottom of their grandmother's history it's where their family began and where the magic kind of began with a river spirit that lives there and that orchidea was able to find and like capture and so she was given certain abilities and magic and things but she grew up in Queens, New York. She came to America when she was about five or six years old, but she said that she does go back to the city um, probably once every year or two. So I think the author is from Mm -hmm. Guyview? Oh, yeah. So her roots are very much in the place where she's writing. And so that's kind of fun because it gives her such, you know, much more familiarity with the place and the roots and everything, which is awesome. And I really love this. When she was 10 years old, the author wrote in her diary, Dear Diary, I am now a witch. (laughs) (laughs) I just, yes. And so I thought that was really cute, especially since it sounds like her work as a whole does um, 
kind of center around magical women. And so I think that that's cute that she's just kind of mm-hmm. had that in her mind her for her entire, you know, life, basically. That is cute. That it makes me think of like Kiki's delivery surface for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you can kind of see how this might be a little bit Halloween-y starting now. We know we have a grandmother matriarch witch right? And that there's magical things coming down through the family. Um, But this part that actually has the food is, was basically my favorite part of the entire book. So Orchidea knows that she's going to die. Um, She is actually turning into a tree and slowly turning into a tree. And (laughs) this is how she knows she's going to die. (laughs) She's going to become grandmother Willow. Yeah, basically. Um, So she calls her family. She has had, hold on. I'm going to have to like look up the family tree in the beginning of this book to remember like how many people there are. So confusing. So I did not read the whole book. I read like the first part of the book and then I had to stop to read a book club book. And then by then my audio book was gone and I ran out of time and it was a whole thing. Mm -hmm. But like the whole time, I was so confused and I had no idea who they were talking about at any given moment because the only people I could remember were Orchidia and Mira and uh, Marimar. Yeah. And so I was like, I have, I don't know who any of these other people are. I was like, there's the pregnant one. There's the guy. Everybody else is just there. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how it was for me too. I was constantly coming back and forth to this, which is interesting too, because I feel like in Latin cultures in particular, it does seem like they are very generationally family oriented. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that that shows really well, actually, in what we are about to read. So in any case, just more so than we are here. I mean, I think yeah. there are a lot of cultures that are that way. It's just For sure. not as much here. So we have Orchidea, Orchidea, I think. One of the two, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> She had five husbands, four of which she had children with, and many of them also have their own children. So she has many grandchildren, um, and she's about to have a great-grandchild as well. So when they come into the story, it's like there are all kinds of people there of uh, grandchildren, you know, one great grandchild about to be born, children, but no husbands. They have they have all died. But she has called them all back to their ancestral home in Four Rivers, somewhere in America. That she actually like built the house, or it's like magic, and. So she's brought them all back to kind of do a, I'm dying and now I'm going to finally kind of tell you some of my weird magical history kind of a thing. So they've all gathered. They're having their normal family dramas and traumas and they've had people who have died in unusual ways and just all kinds of stuff going on, right? So of course what they do is they cook a giant feast for all of the people and they're going to sit down with their grandmother while she's turning into a tree and eat food. Um, I was turning into a tree. I'd want to eat. Food. I know. Well, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Tio Felix and his wife, Reina brought in the roasted pig while the others carried bowls of crisp salsa topped with cilantro. 
and Ahi that made Ray's eyes water even from across the table, heaping towers of patacones and maduros, a mountain of arroz con gandules. I'm really sorry about my Spanish accent. It's very French. Yucaf- I know. <laughs> I always make fun of Brett because he reads French with a Spanish accent and I do the opposite. Yucca frita stacked like a Jenga tower, camarones apanados, whole avocados ready to be cut. I don't know why, but that's my favorite part. They just have whole avocados, whole avocados. on the table. I'm imagining like the Haas avocados too that are like enormous. Yeah, for sure. One by one, the Montoyas took their seats. Okay, so that's kind of them getting ready for the feast. They're all going to sit down, and then this is what happens at the feast. Okay, so Marimar has been out on the grounds of the farmhouse. Uh, she, like, she was following something, and she was trying to find something. And so she comes back in, and here's what happens. Marimar appeared at the threshold. Her hair was windswept. Tears carved away a pattern on her dirty cheeks. At first, he didn't understand what she was carrying in her arms. A white pumpkin? He wouldn't put it past her to have found an albino fox, but the thing didn't move. In her arms was a baby carved entirely of moonstone, and gathered behind her were the ephemeral outlines of six ghosts. No one moved. No one spoke. Ray was positive no one even breathed for several moments. Dad? Enrique said breathlessly. That word was said over and over. Dad, daddy, papa. All four of Orchidea's dead husbands moved into the room. They were not the way Ray had thought ghosts would look like. He'd always imagined see-through white figures, outlines of what they used to be. But these people, these phantasms, did have touches of color. His grandfather Luis's brown skin gave him the impression of being alive. The only thing that marked him as dead was the way he flickered as he walked through the table and across the room to embrace Orchidea. Orchidea. (laughs) For the first time in his entire life, he saw a tear run down her face. It shimmered like tree sap. And then Ray sees his mother, who died a long time ago. And they just keep introducing the ghosts. They keep coming in. Um, And then people get mad. There's all kinds of family stuff going on. And it says, now, you heard what Ma said, eat. Tia Silvia, whose tears ran down her face in glittering rivers, piled food on plates. Goblets brimmed with the deepest red wine. The spirits ate and ate. The living hurried to tell their stories, their accomplishments, their wins, their progeny. Martin vanished for a moment, then returned, and the sounds of Orchidea's favorite songs filled the house, which had been empty and silent for too long. So I really kind of love this because they're having a family gathering, right? And then it becomes a family gathering. Like All of the people that are buried on the property come back. And I feel like it's so reminiscent of like the Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they have food, it seems like they have offerings, they're all gathered together and they have the 
their deceased ancestors are there with them and they're actually like eating and they're being able to converse with them and tell them about what their lives have been like. And I, it's just kind of like a, it's kind of creepy when it first happens, but it's more of a, just a familial gathering than anything else. And nobody's weirded out by it or anything. One guy gets really mad and like storms out for some reason or another, but um, yeah, I just, I just love how, how this ghostiness plays out here. Ghostiness. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's just like a funsy ghosty thing. And it is, it's weird because it's like also kind of like a healing family trauma kind of a thing. Um, and like a welcoming into the afterlife because Orchidea is about to die and turn into a tree. And it's like happy ghosts. <laughs> so I really like that scene. So let's talk about the food. Today we are going to be talking about the arroz con gandules. Con, con gandules? Gandules? Gandules. Yep. Um, which are pigeon peas. Like if you've ever seen rice and peas from Jamaica, they're the same kind of little beans. Yeah. See, I, I looked at the recipe and I was like, why does pigeon peas sound so familiar? And yeah. I had to go back and look through my blog and, it, and we had made rice and peas from yeah. the Bahamas and we had used pigeon peas. And I was like, yeah. oh yeah. Um, and then also maduros and patacones. So I'm not going to go into the history of the Maduros and Patacones, but I just, I wanted to make them because I love plantains. They're like super delicious. And so Patacones or Tostones is another word for them are unripe plantains that have been fried, smashed, and then fried again. And you put salt on them. So they get kind of crunchy. And then maduros are like super, super ripe plantains, like almost black. So they get really sweet and you fry them and they become even sweeter. And uh, you can sprinkle so sugar good. on them if you want. Like they're, when they're so done good. Well. Like, I feel oh like God. it's so easy to get crappy ones. I don't know. I don't know how to pick the plantain that makes it turn out well. But like when you get a good plantain and they come out well, they're so good. They're so good. It's one of my very favorite things. And I always forget about them because it's not something we have in our culture very much. Like they're not no. just around, but oh my gosh, man, they're, they're so good. <laughs> I love them so much. And they're so easy to make both of them. The, mm -hmm. the tostones take a little longer because you have to fry them twice and smash them, but, um, oh man, so good. Definitely, definitely recommend making them. Um, but Let's talk about the very minimal history of arroz con gandules. Um, so this is actually the national dish of Puerto Rico and versions of it exist pretty much everywhere. I mean, it's beans and rice. Yeah. That's what it is. And it's got, so like, you know, red beans and rice, you think like Creole kind of cooking or the rice and peas, um, just everywhere there are versions of this. But this particular one has pigeon peas, pork of some kind, like pork belly or bacon or, you know, whatever, and sofrito, which is the 
I'm not sure for Ecuadorian, because that's where these people came from. I'm not sure what kind of seasonings they may have had in there, but for the Puerto Rican version, it does include sofrito, which is like the base flavoring for like pretty much everything that you make that's Puerto Rican. Uh, It would be similar to like a mirepoix, right, in France. And I know um, Spain, I don't remember what the Spanish one is called, also has uh, one of those things where it's just like, you know. It's the aromatics. It's the aromatics, the things that you put in the in first, like onions and garlic and maybe carrots, right? You but they're chop very them all specific, up and, like depending like, on where you are. Yes. Yes. They're regional. And depending on where you are, you use very specific ones. So like in France, a mirepoise, onion, carrot and my brain. Celery, garlic, Cel- uh, celery. Yeah. Onion, onion garlic. Celery. Yeah. Onion. Yeah. Celery and carrot. And there are specific amounts of each. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then like or like ratios. And then for like they talk about this like in Creole cooking or like in gumbo. It's yes. Bell peppers, onions and celery. Yes. It's the holy trinity. Yeah. And so this is like the thing that flavors all the food. And so when when it tastes Creole when it tastes French, if it tastes Puerto Rican, the reason why is because it has this base underneath it, right? So this one, it has things like olives and something called culantro, which I have never heard of Hmm. before, um, and cilantro and things. But the olives, I feel like, make it really distinctive, different than than normal bases like that. Yeah. So this dish, we don't, you know, really know particularly when or where it came from. We do know that Puerto Ricans took the dish to Hawaii with them in 1900 because they were being recruited to work on sugar plantations. And so it's also a Hawaiian dish for that reason. Um, It's actually mainly served at Christmas or on special occasions, which is interesting to me because it's such an easy dish. like it doesn't require a whole lot from you. And usually we save things for special occasions and Christmas that take a little bit more time. But I wonder if the reason why is because it's also intended to feed a crowd. Like the recipe that I made, I halved because it called for four cups of uncooked rice. And I was like, there is no way that we are going to eat four cups of uncooked rice. So it must be for that because it's intended to feed a crowd. But Yeah, the sofrito is definitely the biggest part of that because it flavors the rice in a specific way. Um, That being said, my kids like devoured this, even though, yeah, rice was like, this rice is so dang good. (laughs) I say the sofrito smelled really good when it was in the pan. Yeah, it did. Um, None of my kids would touch the plantains except for Kennedy but she eats most things, but, um, but they all really liked the rice and they don't usually eat beans. Maybe it's cause they were little round things and they didn't look like beans. They were willing to eat it. You were tricked. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> okay. So now it is time to rate our arroz con, con gandules. <laughs> Terrible Spanish vowels. Okay. So Christine, what are we giving for time? So for time, we are rating this de baguette. Um, so, I mean, this is rice. And 
rice i think is usually like a pretty quick pretty easy thing and it's not like this is like biryani or or like um what's the spanish one what's oh paella yeah it's not like it's paella right so it's not supposed to be a thing that takes forever but i feel like it gets while it's not a hard recipe that as far as timing it gets a little complicated because it's like you have to you know render your pork take it out saute some other stuff toast the rice i just feel like there are a lot of steps that makes it take longer than a regular rice dish so mm-hmm. it loses it loses a baguette because of that yeah and for ease we are going to award trois baguette um it's rice <laughs> so although sometimes the timing and waiting on the rice and having to you know let it sit for a long time and stuff It is really easy. None of the steps are difficult. Mostly you're just going to cook stuff in a pot, put some rice in it, and then put some water in it and then let it go. Um, It's, it's not technically difficult. You just have to make sure you let the rice cook long enough so that it's not going to be crunchy. Yeah. That's all. That being said, mine was mushy. Like, I don't know what happened there, but like I followed the recipe as far as like amounts of, oh, I know exactly what happened. (laughs) Okay. Never mind. I. It's because I have the recipe. I didn't have the water. Oh no! <laughs> so my rice was like really, really wet, and so that absolutely explains why. Otherwise, oh, okay. it probably would have been pretty good. That's funny. <laughs> mine, yeah, because I was gonna say mine wasn't mushy. Was um, so that that's really funny. <laughs> it's like two cups of rice and like five and a half cups of water. <laughs> so it's easy, but don't don't double your water. Yeah, it's easy if you do it right. <laughs> But it didn't occur to me until just now. Okay. So, Christine, tell us what we're awarding for taste. Okay. So, for taste, um, we are giving it de baguette. And so, I think part of the problem here was that we both ate it as like a main dish when it's really not. Yeah. Um, so, it would be better, you know, as a side dish. That being said, because of the beans, I mean, it's not like it's not filling. I'm pretty sure we'll eat it just yeah. by itself for lunch like twice this week. Yeah. I feel like despite having sofritos and olives and capers and all these other things in it, that it didn't have a ton of flavor, though, which I was really disappointed in because I thought it would be very, very flavorful rice. I feel like I would double the sofrito next time. Yeah. Like, I think I think there just wasn't quite enough to infuse flavor into the rice. Um, so I think I would add more. Okay. So that is all that we have for you today about spooky things and orchidea, I think, divina, um, <laughs> and our non-traditional Halloween for October. So in two weeks, we will be back and we will be talking about a more traditional Halloween creepiness. And Christine is going to lead us in a discussion of Dracula. And we're going to be making the chicken paprikash from that book which is literally on like the third page yeah it is <laughs> um i think that was actually suggested by dean at uh the well season librarian oh hi dean so that'll be a fun one perfect too. good halloween yeah one. oh yeah for sure so we hope to see you then in two weeks um if you would like to see pictures of what we have made our arroz and our plantains then visit us on our social media we are on instagram at the bitten word podcast and we are on i keep wanting to say tiktok in my brain but it's not tiktok it's twitter (laughs) 
at the bitten pod. You can also always email us with suggestions, with pictures, with anything that you want, really, at the bitten word podcast at gmail.com. And you can also find all of that stuff in one place, including recipes and everything that you could ever want and desire on our website, thebittenwordpodcast.weebly.com. So visit us. Let us know what you think of the episode. Let us know if you read the book or if you make the food. Let us know how it is. And we will see you in two weeks. Until then, happy reading and bon appetit.